You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Moitzoy Shabbos, this must be Rizcho Daraisa. I'm Aprom Kivalevich, and I am here with Rabbi Goyen Rabbi Yosef Gavriel Bechofer. Not really here with him, but we're both together on Zoom at the same time, talking to each other. And uh, Rabbi Yosef, I know last week we talked about the Hashivas of Yat Kislev, which was, uh, we're still probably feeling the glow of Yat Kislev. There's probably some Farbrengen still going on, um, I'm sure. In, in, uh, definitely. Thousands of what? Thousands of Farbrengens. I'm sure there's thousands of Farbrengens going on in, in, in recognition of the great Ora Kodesh of, of the Alter Rebbe. Yat Kislev is another holiday, you know that, right? You know, the slave. Yeah, yeah. The night after he was taken out of prison, he had to spend the night in wherever he was in St. Petersburg or Moscow, I remember. In the, I think it was in Petersburg, in the house of Misnagid. And they said that the, the pain of having to be in the house of Misnagid overnight was worse than all the pain <laughs> in prison. And therefore, Chavkislev is a because he got out of the house of the Misnagid. <laughs> well, what about the Misnagid who saved him in Chaslovich? Wasn't there the uh, the famous story of how, you know, when he was, you, you talked about uh, last week when you gave the uh, uh, structure of what you wanted to talk about. We talked about his role in the Napoleonic Wars and the French, the Russian, uh, Franco-Russian War. I don't know you know, you in Chabad, they, they, they distinguish between Olamsha and, and Misnagdim. I don't know, maybe the guy in Chaslavich was in Olamsha, not, not a real Misnagdim. Yeah, I think he was from, they say he was a, 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 a very big admirer of the Gain in Slutsk, I think. No, no Slutsk is where he hated. That was Chaslavich. Yeah, Slutsk is where my Eltar, Eltar Zeta, was rough. So, um, yeah, that's where the, uh, the Balatanya supposedly got thrown in the, uh, he got thrown in the basement over there. Uh, he wanted to, he wanted to be, have uh, and they threw him and they treated him terribly there. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a checkered history uh, between Chabad and others uh, when it comes to uh, persecution and stuff. But again, I think what we need to really say, I know you wanted to talk about, uh, about the Alter Rebbe, but, and, and, and then you wanted, and you mentioned to me last week how uh, incredibly important the last Rebbe was. And I think we need to probably say part of Yad Kislev and part of understanding Chabad is understanding the incredible uh, pioneering efforts they've made and continue to do in Kirov all over the world and in ways that really uh, dwarf almost almost many of the other Kirov organizations that are around. Um, I, I wish in some fashion that there would be uh, a little more sheet of pula between uh, uh, the Chabad and the other organizations. I'm not sure if that chasm could ever be bridged. I do have to say Y.Y. Jacobson is a very um, um, good voice to maybe make those bridges between, and we could have a real, you know, a giant gear of organization. I don't know if you think that's possible. Do you think it's possible for Chabad to work in tandem, let's say with some of the other uh, gear of groups at all? No, I don't think organizationally, individuals certainly, yes, like you mentioned, why by Jackson, but not, not organizationally. No. Yes, yeah, so, well, then I'm not sure, you know, because I think, you know, I'll put this, um, the idea of the Rebbe as being so infallible um, <clears throat> sometimes uh, creates a, um, a difficulty in terms of working together with Chabad, because ultimately the Rebbe's opinions, the Rebbe's das, um, what the Rebbe held about a specific subject, 
uh, is immutable. And sometimes in the care of organizations, you have to be a little bit uh, gamish. You have to be elastic and to be able to adapt to certain situations. Uh, and if the Rebbe already ruled one way against it, it's, you can't go back to him anymore. So I think that there is, um, you know, that, that sometimes precludes working with them. I know this week, I think we're also probably going to see a Chabad presence of some sort at uh, Trump's last uh, at least for this term. I don't know if he's going to come back in 2024, but at least for this term, the Hanukkah yeah. party. Where's your Amunah? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you think like president the next four years? Well, yeah, look. If, just, you, if you were at Amunah, you wouldn't say such things. What I will say is I don't think Biden is going to have, is going to feature Chabad in the same way uh, Trump and Bush had. Um, That's and... why Biden's going to lose. <laughs> Oh, he, I'll go upon him. My point is, is that uh, I know Chabad is, takes a very strong role. Shemtov, I think his name is Rabbi Shemtov over there in the Washington area, uh, takes a very strong role in lighting the, not only the menorah, like the national menorah, but actually lighting the menorah in the, in the residence of the White House. And I know there's going to be a question who's showing up and what sort of masks they'll be wearing, if there's going to be masks or not. Um, you can ask your Rebetzin to comment on that, but um I guess the point here is is that I can't disparage that type of cure of that type of Hanhagas that Chabad is doing, but I think that whether it's Chabad or or or, or any of or any of the cure of organizations or Sameach, Shatera or any of them that are working here in the United States, um, there seems to be another issue that uh, I'd like to get your input on, which is. Uh, it, it was brought to the fore by my reading over Shabbos uh, quite guiltily because I had a lot of stuff to prepare, but a New Yorker article uh, about um, that was in last week's New Yorker. Uh, you can probably still find it online. And in that article, it was all about what happens when um, members of a Hasidic community, from a community, Haredi community, leave the community and how the difficulty that they have when they have children uh, about getting custody, retaining custody. And the article um, really speaks to um, the pain that so many of these um, uh, people feel, the people who feel marginalized in their community. They feel like they have nobody to speak with. Um, they, they, they're getting rote answers that don't deal with their questions properly. Um, and when they express themselves to therapists and professionals and Rabbonim, uh, they are reprimanded and told things that they, they, are, they aren't able to accept. Um, so again, remember, the source of this article is one of the most virulent anti-Frum organs that we have, which is the New Yorker. Uh, you might, I don't know if you remember the famous New Yorker cover, uh, of the of the Hasidic man kissing the black woman, you might remember that that came out in the nineties. Um, th- they are famous for uh, blaming Hasidim uh, for for basically, I guess, writing screeds against Hasidic way of life. They in the new etc. However, you know where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, clearly, the article is prejudiced and 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 against us, against the from world, against the Torah world. But there's, there definitely is this problem that is still uh, s- still coursing through our veins. Uh, and I don't, I'm sure COVID has not alleviated it, despite all the calls for achtas and togetherness. Uh, there's still this sense of people within the Frumveld who are leaving. 
who feel that they are not being serviced and are finding their way out. There's an organization, I think uh, you might have read about it, called Footsteps, that helps create this bridge to the secular world. And they're getting a lot of, if it's not the New Yorker, they're getting a lot of uh, popular um, sympathetic press everywhere. So what, what do you think we can do about this? I mean, me and you are just sitting here in our, in our attics, but what do you think we could do? What sort of message do you think we can articulate to try to reach not only the Rechokim, but the Krovim, uh, who are now Nasu Rechokim? What, what can we do? Is, you know, how can we stop demonizing them? And how can, is there any chance to bring these Hever back or in some way to uh, at least uh, try to put a tourniquet on all the negative PR uh, that results from their leaving the fold. Uh, there is a group called Jew in the City. I don't know what, how, much, what, how much much about what they do, but they have this. Uh, they have a program to try and take uh, people who are on the way out of uh, these types of backgrounds and try and catch them so they don't fall completely out and become completely uh, non-observant or anti-observant, and uh, and try and. Um, ground them on a level which is more uh, open but not completely gone. I don't know to what extent they're successful. I don't know what how they run their programs, but they definitely have set themselves up as an alternative to footsteps. Um, I, my impression is that it's very hard to be successful because in this community, uh, very little has there's very little intellectual Muna, everything is in Munapshuta, and once you lose your Munapshuta, because it doesn't speak to you emotionally anymore, there's nothing left. So you just fall out the bottom of the hay, right? So there, I, I, I'm not sure what there is to do. I don't know how effective Jew in the city is, but I certainly don't know how we could have any impact on what goes on in these places, which even are closed off from us, not just from the secular world. Well, you know, what I find, you know, it's it's... it's... It's it's sad. The people who leave Chabad Chasidus, I think the 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 one who started Footsteps was Malki Schwartz, a Chabad a person. I don't know much about her, but you would think that they that they could offer a a counter intellectualism. Obviously, they can't just sell them Chabad Torah, but they could at least sell them something that that could work on an intellectual level. Um, or if not them, David Gottlieb, uh, uh, somebody, um, you know, uh, someone, of, you know, Yitzchak Breidowitz. There's got to be, there's, uh, there's people out there that could, you know. You know. Who's not making that connection? Uh, this is kind of a moot point because they're not going to connect with these people. They're not going to reach out to them and the people can't reach out the other direction. It doesn't work that way. There's no mechanism for it. So you're saying basically the people look if you read the article and I don't look, recognize here's the great the great and extraordinary Avram Kivalevich. Avram Kivalevich represents to us the pinnacle of intellectual understanding and <laughs> incisive uh, uh, perspective. One second into Judaism, and yet there's no vehicle with which Avram Kivalevich is able to reach into Satmer or Bubov or Bubba 45, or uh, uh, Vishnitz, and have an impact on those communities. There just isn't. And on their way out, they're not going to say, oh, I know, it's, let's stop the free fall by landing on Rabbi Kibbelevitz's uh, oh, 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 okay. Well, 
I, I, you know, I, I appreciate all the accolades, and what I should do is I should record them. And I am recording it, and then I will listen to them constantly when you talk about me, and I can always, in my times of morose depression, I'll hear how I've got a friend who loves me, holds me in my real stature. But here's the point. You know, we both worked at the Yeshiva of IDT. You understand my point, right? I understand. But you know what? I, we, you know that we sort of had something in the Yeshiva of IDT that was based on that model. Uh, I don't know how many we caught. This is not, this is not reaching. That's reaching away the people who have, uh, have on a certain fringe it's not the people who are the same people who are being written about in the New Yorker article. Yeah, there's not much. There's not that big of a difference though, because when I read the stories, the profiles were the same. Now I have been a teacher in that yeshiva, oh, well, and you were there, but the profiles are very similar. Let me just go over some of the profiles. Let me just go over some of the profiles for well, the people. So, 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 okay, so what is your technique at, at, and your yeshiva in reaching these kids? How does oh. it succeed? Okay, so one of the th- techniques that we do, and I should get Sk- Rabbi Skaisla on here. He could probably be a much more um, eloquent uh, exp- expositor of what we do. But I will say one of the things we do is we, t- we, we do not browbeat them. Uh, we allow them to understand that we, under- that we understand why they are so um, – uh, what's the lure to technology that they have. Uh, in a way, we give them some sanction. And we speak their language to the point that we validate their doubts and we don't make them feel that uh, they are outcasts just because they had these doubts of God and in their lives. That's one thing. The second thing is, one second, you asked me, let me just tell you what the second thing. The second thing that we do is that we try to create for them, try to draw for them a vision of a future where they can be successful financially. Meaning that they aren't just, as you read in the article, the guy who has a supermarket job and would love to move to Teaneck, but says there's no way I can do that because I can't really get a job. One of the things we do is package to them the reality of an education, the reality of a degree, plus in that education, we teach them knowing like it's English as a second language. You know, you know, when I was there, of course, when we had when I was teaching some of the students, I would give half of the class in Yiddish, but then the other half in English and I would help them. And, and, and part of the thing was that they saw here are people who are willing to talk to them about movies, talk to them about binge watching TV, talk to them about leaving the Hasidic community, finding jobs, but at the same time having white shirts and beards and talking about things that were similar to their upbringing. You have a white shirt and a beard. <laughs> okay, I happen to have spilled some broccoli soup on my shirt, so I switched to a blue shirt here um, to be comfortable. But I do, but the, the point is... Maybe your work, your work clothes are white. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. When, I, when, when I'm on, yeah. Okay, I'm just like everybody else on Zoom. Okay, you're the one who you know you're the one who has who's putting on the uh, the dog here for me. But generally on Zoom, it's informal but not prost. Okay, so that's that's the way I'm going to try to be with you: informal but not prost. And, right. <laughs> <I do. laughs> but listen, I know how prudish you are, so I'm not going to go that far. But the point is, I, I I think, and I know that you could probably, with coaching and training, be also effective in that way. Okay, so let's see one of the guys in your program. 
and I, 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 I'm sure you do an excellent job. Let's run the guy's gun because it says, uh, listen, Rebbe, I decided I'm homosexual. What, what do you do next? Okay, first of all, we've... Wait, first wait, wait, of wait. Other, other example. Listen, we've Rebbe. had some. We've had okay, them. Okay, so tell me a second. The other thing. Listen, Rebbe, I don't believe in God. Shabbos is me anymore, for me anymore. What are you going to tell me, these two guys? Okay, so first of all, we've had guys just like that. Okay, we've 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 had students, you know, and we've had students that are like that. And the truth is, is that I don't know if there's one answer that fits all. But one thing we could do is, we don't scream at them. We don't call them an apicators. We don't say you're gay. I'm sorry. We're gonna have to speak to your parents and get you out of the yeshiva. None of that doesn't happen. The first thing is that we listen and we accept, and that. In a way, we say, look, you know, I, I'm sure it's very difficult. The same way, there's, there's something called active listening. If you read the New Yorker article, you see that, um, you know, most of the people, the therapists and people that were quoted, like, for example, the Bava Verchosid, who's, um, they came to the Rebbe because they wouldn't let their kids in school because the wife drives. The wife drives. So what did the Rebbe say? I'm not sure of which Rebbe it was, or one of the uh, heirs there. I'm not sure what his name is, Rev, Rev, Rev Halberstam. I'm not sure it was. I'm not even sure if it's true that he said it. But Halberstam is only Bob, not Bob 45. All right, I'll call upon whoever it was. One of these Rabbonim uh, said, well, what? It's not worth it for your kids to stop driving? Okay, so you won't drive. Okay, now. Obviously, there's a bigger issue than that, right? Uh, and, and I believe Rebbe's have to have a Chochmah and Havana. What made the Baal Shem Tev, the Baal Shem Tev, what made the Magad, the Magad, what made all the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's, is they were able to see beyond the question into other things and give over wisdom and love. So when, you, when someone comes to you and you say, look, give it up or you're out, that's not the type of answer that people want to hear. And as you heard, as you read in the, in the article, as soon as the Rebbe said that, the Rebbe, the one who represented the greatness of Bovov, said that, he said, you know what? All my doubts, I'm leaving Yiddishkeit. Um, you know, and again, the, the other story that is in there about the father who, if the, the son didn't wear a Bekish on Shabbos and, you know, in, in, in his house, he says, okay, I'm leaving Yiddishkeit. We don't have any you don't react extremely to any statement. And, and, and this is not the tkufa uh, of, of the Rambam uh, Ikarim, where you just passed the line, buddy. I now, I'm now rising Kriya, right? And, and I, I think most cure of organizations counsel parents if they come to them about this. And look, uh, let's put it on the table. Both me and you are pretty aware in a personal way about what it means when a child moves away from the Hanhogas of the parents, okay? Yes, but we come from a different, we're dealing with a different world. I don't stand, uh, you're preaching to the choir. Now you go, you have to go to Vishnitz and, and Muncie and tell them this, and you have no way of telling this to them, and that's not the way they respond to these things. I want to tell you that there are well, red... There are six people to interview doesn't mean that it's massive percentages. Okay, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe this thing is not a crisis Most people are social people. They determine their lives not based on intellectual understandings and objective analysis, but on what, what's, what's societally comfortable for them, what's socially uh, 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 pleasurable for them. And the most Hasidim, their society and their circles and uh, especially their family are what they live for, and they have no incentive or desire to leave that way of living. 
Yeah. So, but we do see that that there is. I don't know what footsteps numbers are. I don't know how many people there are. But you're telling me now. I guess you're trying to suggest that maybe this isn't such a big is such a big issue. Maybe it's something that you know, uh, I, it would seem to me, Rabbi Yosef, that this would be a more um, burning issue than reaching people that are Tinoika Shanishpa. People who were raised from, who were given Hadrocha, were given Chinoch. Not raised from. They're raised in a certain much more narrow way. And you and I don't have the Shprach to get to them. The parents, I'm talking about. You have Shprach with the kids through IDT. The parents are not the type of people who are going to listen to any Hadrocha or advice or counsel or sit back while we actively listen to them and respond accordingly. I, I want to tell you, the parents that I've spoken to have cried over the phone and have said to me, at, at least he should have Shmir Shabbos, at least he should marry a Jewish girl, at least he should keep kosher, right? And they understand that their kids are different. Many of these parents, again, the, the reason, one of the re- reasons I didn't like the article is because it did not give enough samples of loving parents that don't have the, aren't that grotesque caricature that you see. And they say, look, you know, I want, I understand that the kid cannot be exactly like me. At least make sure that he stays within. Okay, so I would say something else. I would say that those parents, and I agree with you on this, they don't sell magazines. They sell magazines as parents who are, who are nasty misfits and ex-husbands who are nasty misfits. And uh, that's why we're going to write about them and not about the ones who are menschless, calm, cool, collected, and considered. And that's, uh, that's why people, well, that's why magazines like New Yorker are, are so damaging because they focus very, very, uh, uh, in a very, very agenda-driven way on the people who will be entertaining and, re- re- and validating through their audiences. Well, okay. So basically what I think you've, w- 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 the way you see this then, it's more of a tempest in a teapot, but it's really about a general uh, Western or media uh, prejudice against Frumkite, right? It's not so much, in other words, you don't see this as, oh, this is an issue we should turn to. Maybe the bigger issue is the fact that we are always getting bad press and that uh, for the average, let's say, conservative Jew or or medium middle of the road Orthodox Jew picks up this magazine, ah, you see what it means to be a from person, a from person is being uh, closed-minded, uh, anti-science, anti-human, anti-feeling. Um, okay, so do you have any, is, is there some way we can fight that? I'm going to give you a chance now to get on your, why don't you, you, you gave me a chance to talk about what I do at IDT and what we try to do at IDT at the Yeshiva. What are you doing uh, to help create some positive flow for those people that want to see that that aren't just dyed in the wool uh black hatters the people who are who are looking and saying hey show me some positive stuff from the orthodox world the main one which i do is as you know i learn with a bunch of conservative rabbis nowadays now reform rabbi joined us you know, to show that Orthodox Jews are not ogres and that what they read in the press, that's not the only reason, but what they read in the press is not who we are and that we are, in fact, uh, uh, sensitive, smart, uh, and uh, attuned people who they respect and admire. That's one thing. 
the other thing is, which both of us try and do in the different forms in which we find ourselves, is to mekadish shem shemayim as much as you possibly can. Um, obviously, uh, the, the, each of us has been given our sphere of influence, our places where we can make a difference, and we try to the best of our uh, capacities. I, 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 I think, in a way, this is the the idea of um, you know when uh, uh, of uh, being an or lagoyim is not always that you can be a and an or here too not not observant Jews. Not always, it's not always direct interaction, but also by presenting the the tzelem with most of what it means to be Torah observant. So, and, and the way you're doing that, of course, is by your online presence and by your Facebook. Yeah, I wish it was more by by writing more sperm. There have been, but okay, someday. Right, well, again, you know, the, if the point is is to counteract. The, the the poison that you're seeing from uh, the popular press, um, you know, the question is how are we going to get that done? We know when people have an agenda, you know, it's, uh, New Yorker isn't going to write the next article about the great Beckhoffer. We know that's not going to happen, right? Well, the great limits. Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, they are getting money from me because I subscribe to their magazine. So maybe they'll throw me a bone. Maybe they'll make a cartoon. Maybe they'll put us in the cartoon section. Yeah. That would be good. We, we are definitely – people remember the cartoons more sometimes. If, if we could become cartoon characters in a New York – an ongoing New Yorker, that would be great. But, you know, it's not going to be from the New Yorker. The question is, there should people – maybe there's other organiz, other media – that can somehow present things in a more possibly. I remember, I just want to, you know, we're going to wrap it up. I remember to me, one of the seminal moments, I guess that a seminal moment, I, I think in my reading experience during the seventies was an article that came out in the village voice about a Shatira. It was written by um, a woman whose brother, she, she, she wrote some other articles afterwards, but her brother had become a Balchuva and had become an influence on the Rav Noah Weinberg. And it came out in the Village Voice. Now, the Village Voice—I'm not sure if it, what sort of presence it has anymore. But it was no what? I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. But as you know, for many years, it was a maverick left wing. It was really the place to go for you know almost the most wild uh, and 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 fascinating stuff. And this was an article that really gave Rav Noach and his rabbits in so many pages, and, and, and it really put Frumkite in a very positive way. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, you know, it, there's got to be, a, there's gotta be a, that has to be able to happen again in some fashion. Uh, we, we talk about, let me just make this point. Just for a second. We talk about the polarization of right and left, Democrat, Republican, uh, of, of the media. Um, there's got to be some smart people who have a way of selling a story to to some Mother Jones, one of these places where you could read some positive stuff, and then little by little there'll be more of that uh, to the point. And and you know you would think Chabad, we coming back full circle. Chabad was the one that I, I think in most people's minds before maybe a few years ago, everyone loved the, the telethon. You know, they had uh, in Los Angeles, I forgot, I think, but it was based in Los Angeles, and they had their, their telethon where they went on TV and they raised money. They had movie stars come in there and everything like that. Um, th- there's got to be a way it, it, that we've got to bounce back 
uh, obviously keeping all the, the Hanhogas of the CDC and, 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 and not making a Chilu Hashem is, is, step, is, of course, important. But we also have to get some good PR people uh, who can push good stories about the incredible efforts and things that are done, positive uh, images of orthodoxy and chassidim, mesnagdim, shivishkaip, and etayr. And uh, there's got to be a, a way to do that. Um, maybe instead of, I, again, this is a little bit of a punch in the face to, to some of my friends, but instead of all the efforts that are being put in to create, um, you know, the, the glossy from magazines, maybe some of those writers and things, hey, should send this article to, uh, you know, and, and offer their services to some of these as a freelancer to some of these major outlets. And in that way, we would be, they would be able to see good writing, a good story, something that means something. You know, look, I, I don't know if you watched it. I know my kids were, were very excited about it. You know, we have better things to do. And although I, I sometimes watch shows with my wife in order to have some sort of uh, uh das, but you heard about Schlissel, right? Schlissel. You've heard about Schlissel. Yeah. Right? Many people think Schlissel was an incredible Kiddush Hashem. I don't know if you think so, but. I can watch it. Right? But you've heard about it. Basically, it's a story, and it's not like, unlike many of these stories of from people, they don't start, you know, ripping their clothes off or, or doing the trefezachen, the and they're really phonies, and they're hypocrites. They're actually people who go through their avodas Hashem, they mean it seriously, but they are human enough that people can relate to them. And therefore, even people like my daughter-in-law, who was raised from, and, 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 but her sense of charedim was changed. By watching Shtisel, she actually could say, yeah, you know what, I, didn't, I, I don't feel so coward by a Haredi person anymore. And I feel like I can talk to them and, and it means something when I see them. So I think even if it doesn't have to be a PR article that talks about how great of a work we're doing. It could just be an article that features us as normal people who, who don't react in, in rash, ugly, grotesque, terrible ways. And, and maybe even a television show that shows them, yeah, they're people like us. You know what? They aren't so bad. And, 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 and that could be a, a, an aspect of Kiddush Hashem, I think. Um, maybe, look, listen, maybe instead of, look, instead of, uh, happy Hanukkah, everybody, for this week, next week, we have, mates, we have a special Hanukkah show next week with, I'm sure it's going to be quite, and I hate using this terrible pun, I'm sure it's going to be quite illuminating. See you, Mitz Hashem, next week. Another episode of Rizcho Daraiso. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.